Hello, I'm Marietz Neumann. Welcome to Calm, Clear and Helpful, a weekly podcast series on taking good care of yourself and others. Today's topic is why we never experience challenge without support. My guest is Dr. Loretta Ferrucci, homeopath, behavioral specialist and mind-body coach from East London. Welcome, Loretta. Thank you, Marie. It's so lovely to be here. And to our listeners, after our conversation, Loretta will give us her three tips on creating what you'd love. And then it will be fun question time. Loretta, please tell us more about the work you do in the wellness arena. Thank you, Mariette. Well, um, I am a homeopath by profession. I've been in private practice for more than 25 years, but I closed my practice about two and a half years ago now to take my business online. And I work online as a, well, you know, <laughs> I never know what to call myself, as I suppose a transformational health coach. My, my area of speciality is health and wellness and in human behavior and transformation. And today we're going, I think, to the human behavior part of it, aren't we? Absolutely. I know you've studied the work of Dr. John Martini, and he believes we never experience challenge without support. Now, before you tell us how you managed to find the support within a set of challenges you recently experienced, could you explain how Dr. Martini views this question of challenge and support? So um, there's a basic law in the universe, which is the law of duality. Called It's called duality by some or polarity. And that is that things that appear to be polar opposites are actually not opposites of, let's say they're not linear opposites. You know, one is not positive and one is negative. They're actually opposite poles of a continuum. So what that means is you can't have happy without sad. You can't have light without darkness. You can't have kindness without cruelty. And in our human perception, our conscious rational minds, we separate things into being black and white, one side or the other. So if something supports what is valuable to us, we will call that good. And if something challenges what is valuable to us, we will call that bad. So that is how we separate things at the level of our conscious or lower minds. We have another mind called our higher mind or our superconscious, if you would, or, you know, your spirit or your soul, if you want to see it that way. And at the level of that mind, nothing is separated into individual units. Everything is seen as a whole. And at the level of the higher mind, there is no duality. So what that means is that uh, in our perception, we think things are one-sided, good or bad or kind or cruel or success or failure. But the truth is they always come together as packages of equal opposites. Now, I just want to say that um, my understanding of it comes directly from Don, Dr. John Martini, but his understanding from it comes from teachers that have been around for centuries, some for millennia. So the Buddha has a quote that says, the pursuit of that which is unattainable and the avoidance of that which is unavoidable is the source of all human suffering. And so the way that I understand that is when we pursue only one side, the pursuit of that which is unattainable, you can't have happy without sad. You can't have success without failure. 
you cannot have support without challenge. So when we pursue that which is, you know, unattainable, and we try and avoid that which is unavoidable. So, you know, we, we're only going for the good parts and we're trying to avoid the bad parts. The Buddha said that is the source of all human suffering. So when we can appreciate that every situation, circumstance and event is a balance of support and challenge, it takes away our massive emotional charge and it helps us get to a place of clarity. And it also helps us to get to a, a, a place of gratitude for the situation so that we can actually move on from that healthier than what we came into it. That's a very lucid way of putting it, especially that quote of the Buddhas. <laughs> yes, I love the Buddha quote, yeah. yeah. That, that really made the light bulb go on for me and, and brought it into perspective. And also what you say about the lower mind and the higher mind. So uh, would you say that the trick lies in seeing what's in your life from the higher mind, so to speak? Yes, yeah, so my understanding, again, from the work that I've done with Dr. Martini, is that, you know, our default setting is our lower mind, because your lower mind is the mind that is associated with your egoic nature. So if you think about it, we all have an egoic or animal nature. That is the drive to stay alive. That's where our ambition lives. That's what gets us up in the morning. And we have an angelic nature. Or we can say we have a sort of human physical side, and then we have a spiritual side. So we can use different terms for that. And so our lower mind or our conscious mind is the mind that's associated with our ego. Our ego separates everything, separates us from others. It create, We all have our own individual map of how reality works. And each person filters everything that happens to them through their egoic map of reality. And your ego reality contains all your fears and your limitations. It's limited. It says to you, don't do this because it's unsafe. Don't go there because this is not good. Don't hang out with those kind of people because they're not our kind of people, because we are one kind of people and they're another kind of people. That's the ego. That's the lower mind. Um, the higher mind, which would be your angelic mind or your spiritual mind, that's that's not our default setting. So we've got both. It's just that we 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 sort of grow up in our egoic reality. And if we don't understand that there's a different reality that we can access, we never actually access it. So what the way in which you can access it, if, we, if we're speaking purely along the lines of the work of Dr. John Martini, because there are other teachers who teach it differently, same result. But essentially, if you want to access that higher mind, if you want to get that soul perspective, you will find the balance in the situation. Because the minute you do, essentially, you have a heart-opening experience and it connects you to your soul. So Dr. Martini has a flagship program called the Breakthrough Experience, if you, and he has a method. Um, and when you go through that method, which it takes hours to get through that, but when you actually do that work, if you've done it to completion, you literally access a soul understanding of that event in your life. And some people, I mean, have massive trauma. Um, and when you can do that, you don't need it to be any different to how it was. That's how you know that you have actually you're not carrying the baggage anymore. So it doesn't change the event. It doesn't take it out of your memory. It doesn't turn it from a negative event to a positive event. It just takes it from a negative event or a positive event, and you can see the neutrality of it. And when you can do that, then you become free because you no longer worry that if you make a decision, there's going to be more pain than pleasure. 
because you know that every decision is going to give you an equal amount of pain and pleasure, just different. So, you know, you may prefer one decision's set of pain and pleasures over another, but the truth is it's always going to be equal. So you never have to fear that you are going to only have a one-sided experience in the future. And you can also clear what you think were one-sided experiences in your past. And you no longer fear losing things either. So, I mean, that fear doesn't go away completely because, of course, you know, you need it, you need your egoic mind to, to function. So you can't be in that state constantly. But just knowing that you can access that, that is, an, and that you have a tool to actually get to that equilibrated state of mind. Because when your mind is quiet, which is really what, what I understand the equilibration does, is it quiets your mind so that you can connect to your soul. That's a wonderful explanation. I was also fortunate to attend the Breakthrough Experience years ago. And I must say, it, yeah, it's something quite unusual. And it does, as you said, it does teach you that you can access this specific way of viewing life. Absolutely. So, I mean, I don't think it's the exclusive way that you can access it. But it certainly is a very effective way that you can use your rational mind to access it. Yes, you're quite right. Mm. Because I think truth, that's my personal view, is that truth is truth and there are many ways to clothe it in. Absolutely. I agree. Now, Loretta, the month of June 2021 has been a difficult one for you. Could you Ooh. tell us about it? Well, I'll have to just backtrack slightly into May. I was involved in a situation where um, my perception was that there was a, a grave injustice being done to somebody. And it was in a, shall we call it a political kind of situation, as in like it was part of a, a, a board or a council that I belonged to. And there was a very difficult meeting that happened at the end of May. And I found it incredibly stressful. And so that was the sort of start of it. And then I got sick. Now, I may just mention that I, I've been ill in my life, of course. But um, infections like flus, you know, those kind of things that lay you low and send you to bed for five days. No, I don't really, I don't get that often. Very seldom, actually. You know, nothing really more than a head cold in that department. I also had COVID at the beginning of 2020 and I hardly had any symptoms. But what I did have was I had the brain fog and the muscle fatigue and the sort of tiredness, but I recovered from that after a week or so, and I was absolutely fine. Anyway, I got what I thought was a head cold, which then um, sort of morphed into, it felt more like it was a flu because I had body pain and everything else. And I was like, my husband had been ill before. And so I thought, oh, well, you know, I've now got my husband's flu. And I thought, oh, I wonder if I should go for a COVID test. And I thought, oh, well, you know, what difference is going to make? I'm going to isolate any case. I'm not going to see anybody, so I should be fine. And um, I went to bed for almost five days. Again, unheard of for me. So I recovered from that. And, you know, on the fifth day, I got up and I started doing some stuff. And um, then went back to work on Monday. And uh, I just, difficult to describe. So, you know, when you're not sick enough to actually have to be in bed, mm -hmm. but you're not quite well enough to just do what you normally do. So I found exercising incredibly difficult. So I didn't exercise for about two weeks because I had extreme muscle weakness, which is what made me think, mm, I wonder if this wasn't perhaps COVID because that part felt sort of the same. Mm. So I had the muscle weakness. I wasn't able to get back in my exercise routine. I was really tired. I had to sleep every afternoon. And then I started getting, I had these weird episodic headaches. And so it's just, I was just subpar, but functioning. And then when I thought I was getting better and I sort of started exercising and so for about three weeks, which is, un again, unheard of for me, 
um, I didn't feel great again. And then I, I think it was the fourth, you know, it's sort of all blurs now, but I think by the time we got sort of to the end of June, I, um, I'd stopped menstruating in, in uh, December mm. of 20 last year, right? And so I hadn't had a period for four months. And I thought, okay, well, welcome to perimenopause and or menopause. <laughs> and I had middling, very middling symptoms in January, sort of very mild hot flushes. And I like, all went away. I felt fine. So um, then I was grumpy and my backache. And, I, and then I realized, oh, hello, I think I must be menstruating. So I thought, well, okay, that's what this is. That's fine. And it was also the weirdest, weirdest experience. So the, you know, a lot of women who in menopause or perimenopause, they complain about extremely heavy menstrual bleeding. I didn't have that, but I had symptoms that I usually don't have with menstruation at all because I generally don't have problems there. And I had the headaches that just persisted and the fatigue and this excruciating back pain. And eventually after, I don't know, day five or six, the back pain drove me to bed. So that was another two days in bed because I couldn't get out of bed because my back was so painful. And it was at that point that I, fortunately, the week before, I had made an appointment to um, to see an energy healer that I see, you know, whenever I think that I need some help. Mm-hmm. And um, then I had a treatment with him. But, but on the Sunday... When I when I had the backache, actually, I was lying on the couch, and um, I have five dogs. I have three big dogs and two little dogs. The two little dogs are Jack Russells. One of them is a geriatric, Alfie. He's 15. And the other one, Sparky, is 10. And she's a dog that we rehomed from someone who moved. And she is the – she's like the dog of my heart, okay? I know you're not supposed to have favorites, but I used to very, very, very – whisper to her in the evening, Sparky, you're actually my favorite. Don't tell her this, okay? <laughs> um, and the reason why she was my favorite, I think, is because she just had such a zest for life, you know? Everything was like, oh, my goodness, it's another day. Let's do it, you know? Let's <laughs> run. Let's, she was just she was just uh, uh, unbelievable that way. And, um, yeah, I had a massive soft spot for her. But she has had been before, twice before, she had been bitten by one of our uh, other dogs, in fact, two of them, uh, you know, because dogs attack in packs, you know, one attacks and then the other one comes in. And um, the last time she'd got, she'd got ripped up pretty badly. So we're very careful. We keep them separate. You know, when we're not here, if we go on holiday, the little dogs go to the doggy hotel and the big dogs get a house sitter to look after them. My husband takes the Jack Russells to work with him. He's a vet. So they go to work and they go cause chaos at the veterinary clinic in the mornings. <laughs> It was a Sunday. We were were all there. They were all together. Everything was fine. And Sparky came to me. She was sleeping somewhere. She came to me and um, I think she wanted to go out. And I didn't realize that the other dog, Sophie, who is is crazy about me and, and very protective, was in the chair behind me. And Sophie came out. Sophie never attacked her, has never attacked her. Sophie came out from behind the chair and she went for her. And of course, the other dog, Indy the Bulbul, also came in. And my husband and I managed to get them off her. And she only had, well, only had, she had two puncture wounds. Um, she ran off yelping. And fortunately, my husband's a vet. So it's a Sunday afternoon. And um, he examined her and said, well, he thinks she's okay. But, you know, she's in a lot of pain. He's just going to let her calm down. And he eventually took her off to the vet, to his clinic. And he came back and he said, no, he's, she's stable. He thinks one of her lungs has collapsed. So, you know, they're not going to be able to shave the wounds and stuff. They've got to just, that he's closed the, the wound as in his bandages up and the lung should reinflate and she should be okay. And then the next morning he messaged me to say, obviously went to check on her again in the night. And the next morning he went off to work and he said, she's okay. She's been outside. She's been walking around. So I thought, okay, grand. And, 
And um, he came home at lunchtime and he said, no, she seems to be doing all right. You know, she's in quite a bit of pain. He's got her sedated, but she, she seems to be okay. And I have, am coaching a group coaching program at the moment. And it runs from six until half or seven on a Monday and a Thursday. And he came home and I was still busy with my group. And I went into the kitchen and he just looked at me and I could, well, I mean, I didn't really realize it because, you know, I just walked into scene, but he, he, his eyes were all bloodshot. And he just said to me, she's not coming home. And she had just gone downhill in the afternoon and she died. So that was like the culmination of June. Mm. <laughs> it was heavy, uh, you know, it was, it, and it was very difficult because it's not like, you know, she just got sick and died. It was mm -hmm. the other dogs attacked her. So I love all my dogs. Okay. But um, I must be quite honest. Ew, it was very difficult. It was very difficult for me to forgive them. But, you know, I know they're just dogs. That's me projecting my humanity onto them. They're dogs, you know. So this is what dogs do. So anyway, that was, that was my June, Mariette. Yes. And now we come to the but. As you said in a Facebook <laughs> post, and I quote, but I know there's never challenge without support. Absolutely. So... Because I have dealt with ill people for such a long time, I have used this, this concept of duality with my patients for years in my practice. And the truth is that when we have signs and symptoms, it's usually our unconscious, so our subconscious mind that creates them to get a need met that we're not having met any other way. So just to give you a, an example, if you burn the candle at both ends, and you're not sleeping well, and you've got deadlines, and you've got lots of stress, and you're not eating well, and you know, you're not looking after yourself, very often you get an infection. I mean, that's quite common, right? So it forces you to rest. Well, I hope that it forces you to rest, because if you push through that, then very often you get a secondary infection, and you know, it just gets worse. So support and challenge exists in disease conditions. So of course, the signs and symptoms are the challenge, because we don't want to be sick. But I know that there has to be the other side. So when I first got sick, I was like, okay, well, you know, where's the support in all of this? What, am, what is it forcing me to do and how is that benefiting me? So it forced me to rest. That was a benefit to me because I actually felt emotionally really wrung out from what had happened at the end of May. Um, my husband was very attentive and helped to look after me. Uh, my, my clients and my Facebook followers were really kind. My friends messaged me. Um, people sent me curry because they think they know I love curry. So there was a huge outpouring of love and support. So that's where the support is in the challenge. But for me, the support was mainly in that I could rest. I could nourish myself. I could take stock. I could recalibrate. I could look back and say, okay, well, you know, where was I overdoing it? Where was I maybe not actually doing the self-care that I teach everyone to do? Um, and so it gave me the, the insights that I received from the signs and symptoms helped me appreciate having the disease as opposed to being um, super frustrated because, you know, now this is five days of my life that I have to waste lying in bed because the frustration doesn't help because it activates our sympathetic nervous system. And that essentially puts us into fight or flight and that lowers our immune response. So when we're sick, we want our parasympathetic nervous system to turn on so that our immune system can be robust, so that we can recover. So the best way that I know to do that, other than, you know, going to bed and taking the fluids and, and your medication if you need to, is to find out how, what, you, what you've got. Like, what is this disease giving me? You know, how's my headache, for example, 
serving me. So one of the ways that headaches serve me in that instance is I would normally, even, I'd go, oh, this is just flu or it's just a head cold. I'll lie in bed and just like design my social media posts for the next seven days so that I don't oh, get dear. behind, okay? So yes, I mean, you can relax, right? So because I had a headache, that wasn't possible. So it really, for example, that, for example, really forced me to rest. Now, I might not have thought I needed the rest right then, but I could be grateful for having, in inverted commas, an excuse to rest completely, which is obviously what I needed because if I hadn't needed it, I wouldn't have manufactured it um, unconsciously, right? So nobody makes themselves sick consciously. Please, let's just get clear about that. Nobody goes, oh, my goodness, I think I just need to, I don't know, get a tumor so that I can get sympathy. Nobody does that. No one makes themselves sick on purpose. It's never conscious. It's what's happening in our subconscious and our unconscious. Because So my needs for care, for rest, for reflection weren't being met. I wasn't meeting those needs. So my illness allowed me, forced me, in fact, to have an opportunity to meet those needs. Now, I could have chosen not to do that. And I think I would have been sicker for longer. But because I did choose to do that, I could actually look back and go, okay, well, you know, I'm not loving this. Eh? Make no mistake. I'm not loving being sick, but I can appreciate what I'm getting in return for feeling bad. So that's how I did it with the being ill. Um, and then again, even when I wasn't recovering, you know, so I realized I had insights about myself, for example. So, I mean, I realized that I... I've always known that I'm addicted to being strong and I'm repulsed by being weak. So, you know, back to the Buddha quote, you know, the pursuit of that which is unattainable, always strong, never weak. And the avoidance of that which is unavoidable. You can't be strong without being weak. They go together um, is the source of all human suffering. And this addiction that I have with strong, I didn't ever really realize. I mean, I've seen it in other areas of my life, but what I realize is I expect myself not to get as sick as other people. I expect myself to recover much quicker than everybody else. I always underestimate the time it's going to take. Mm. And so, and, 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 and that is, it's a form of arrogance. Make no mistake, you know, because, you know, I'm stronger than everyone else. But um, the truth is, I'm not any stronger than anyone else. I'm just like everyone else. And, and then my question to myself is, Loretta, why are you not allowed to just be? Why can you not just be weak? What is it about weak? And so, you know, I spent a lot of time thinking about, you know, where in my life have I been what I thought was weak? And then I went like, okay, so how did that serve me? Because you see, I'm judging weak as being a bad thing. So I'm mm -hmm. like, okay, so it couldn't have been a bad thing. It had to have been a neutral thing. So I can see how it was bad. Okay, so where was the other side in that instance? And I could only do that because I had the time to do that because I was lying around a lot of the time because I, if, I, if I hadn't been weak and fatigued, I would have been balls to the wall at work, which is my way of distracting. And, you know, and, and then again, you know, why is it that why do I have to work so hard? Why can I not just take time out? Why, why do I have to create these artificial deadlines for myself? Why do I have to set the bar so high? Well, because I'm addicted to being strong. And every time I achieve, it reinforces what a strong person I am. So I've known that in that form, like when it comes to work, but I never really realized how much I do that when I'm ill. And I fell off a surfboard once. I had a surfing accident and the skeg hit me in the leg. And to tell you that my leg was sore, I mean, it was black and blue. It looked horrendous. My husband kept on saying, let me take you to my practice and x-ray you. And I was like, no, man, my leg's not broken. I can put weight on it. I'm sure my leg is fine. 
It was so painful. I used to crawl to the bathroom. I didn't go to a doctor. I didn't go and get heavy pain medication. I didn't, um, I took pain medication eventually, but not like, I don't know, you know, not opioids uh, because I don't need opioids. You know, I can do with paracetamol. And the truth of the matter is I had a hairline fracture in my tibia, which I only discovered four weeks later when I finally let my husband x-ray my leg. In fact, I went to facilitate a breakthrough experience on crutches. Now, that's just demented, right? Mm. I thought that was normal. <laughs> mm. And so this illness has allowed me to like look back. At, I, mean, I had kidney stones one Easter weekend. I lay in bed for four days passing kidney stones and refusing to go to the hospital because I thought, oh, it's just a kidney stone. I'm sure it'll pass. I've seen grown men crying from kidney stones. So please don't misunderstand me. I'm not trying to paint a picture of how tough I am. I'm trying to paint a picture of how demented I am in thinking I need to be so tough, mm. if that makes sense. Yes. So that was massive insight for me around, you know, why do I think I'm better than other people? Why, why should I have to be stronger than other people? And it comes down to my limiting beliefs and all the rest. And so, so I take any insight like that that comes as being part of the support because that allows me to know myself better and then I can actually make different choices and I can live a, a happier, more fulfilled and inspired life. Yes, because in this instance, you, you can learn not to need to be so strong every day. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I, finally, I finally realized that, um, you know, all the benefits of being weak, all the drawbacks of being strong, which means that now I'm not compelled to be strong. I can choose when it's, when it's necessary. I can be strong if I need to be strong. But quite frankly, if I'm weak, I'm not repulsed by that, if that makes sense. So instead of strong and weak owning me, basically ruling me, you know, I have to, have to suppress weak, can never let weak in, okay? So weak is the enemy. It's not allowed to come in. And strong is the, the crutch that I'm never allowed to lose. That takes a lot of energy to manage that. And that's just two traits, right? There are something like, 4,900 traits that all human beings have. Mm. So those are only two traits that I'm trying to manage. The tension of, of being driven by that compulsion is resolved when I realize, you know what, there are huge drawbacks to being strong. I mean, quite frankly, some of those examples I've just given you are sheer stupid in strong, and there are massive benefits to being weak. That doesn't mean that I'm suddenly going to be weak or I'm suddenly going to be strong. It means I now have the mastery over weak and strong. I get to choose. When it's, when, it's, uh, when it's appropriate for me to be weak, I can be weak and people can take care of me and I can ask them for help. And when it's appropriate for me to be strong, I can be the strong one and help other people and help myself. But I don't have to be one or the other. I can be both without being driven unconsciously to be only one. That's a wonderful insight, which I'm going to spend some time thinking about. <laughs> Yes, if you think about it before you get sick, you don't have to get sick to get it. <laughs> <laughs> and Loretta, uh, how do you now see the loss of Sparky? Um, so I still miss her, obviously. But again, one of the things that I learned from Dr. Martin, Martini is that where there is, whenever you lose something, whether it's you've lost money or you've lost a job or you've lost a loved one or you've lost, lost a beloved pet, we only grieve for the parts that we really liked. We actually have relief over the parts that we don't like. So 
um, you know, I don't know, what did I not like about Sparky? So um, what I didn't like about Sparky is that she wasn't careful enough, you know. She thought she was a Rottweiler, but she was only in a Jack Russell body. So had she been a little bit meeker, maybe the others wouldn't have been so aggressive towards her, for example. So I'm not going to miss that. I'm not going to miss having to keep the dogs apart. I'm not going to be miss having to worry about her, um, you know, being attacked because she's never going to be attacked again, is she? Because she's not here. Mm-hmm. Um, you, so you might say, yeah, but that's obvious. Yeah, but it's only obvious when you make it obvious. You know, when you go and look for what are the drawbacks. So she had other little habits and quirks that, you know, were time consuming and annoying. I'm not going to miss any of that. That stuff I'm not going to miss. I'm not going to miss my husband shouting at her. The relief is always about the parts that you didn't actually think were so amazing. And this is the same in humans. I mean, I really, I really learned this when my parents passed away is that the truth is I only grieve, really grieve, I only miss the parts of my parents that I really liked. If I'm honest, there were parts of my parents that I didn't like very much, and those I never miss. So if you, if you can see that grief and relief, just like challenge and support, they go together as a package, it helps to decrease the emotional charge. It doesn't take it away. It just allows you to function without being debilitated by it. And so it's the same with, you know, having to, having to, in inverted commas, forgive my other dogs. It's like, well, okay, Loretta, what are you going to do? Are you going to, are you just not going to love these dogs now for the rest of their lives? They're dogs. They've forgotten what they've already done in any case. They're not humans. So um, what is the benefit to you of them being the way they are? So I've had to sit and find that. And the more I can do that, the more I love them. And the less I am devastated by Sparky's death, it doesn't mean that I don't still shed a tear for her. It doesn't mean that I don't miss her. But what it does mean is I don't have to avoid thinking about her or distract myself from the fact that she's died or distract myself from my feelings, actually, because it's too painful. What it does is it allows me to think about her with fondness and love and connection rather than trying to avoid thinking about her, if that makes, if that makes sense. Because often that is what we do. You know, we, we try and avoid the pain of the loss. Also, one thing that I do know is that feelings are like waves. They're waves of energy. They come in, you know, from the horizon. They, they roll towards the shore. They peak. They break. They roll in and then they recede. But if we try and suppress them and we try and deny them, and we try and distract ourselves from them, which is what most of us do from negative emotion, then it's like building a dike. The ocean keeps on banging against that wall, and you've got to maintain that wall. So so I cried a lot. My husband and I still talk. My husband was very emotional about it too. Shame, he's really quite sappy. He just acts tough, but he's not really. Um, <laughs> so my husband and I cried about it. So that's another thing. You know, it's a, it's a point of connection for my husband and I. That's another benefit. My husband and I got really, not that we were apart, but the, the death of Sparky helped my husband and I connect really strongly to one another emotionally. We could share one another's emotional pain. We could cry together. Some days when I'm crying, he can comfort me. Some days when he's sad, I can comfort him. So, you know, it's actually, it, that's a benefit. It's, it's a benefit to my relationship with my husband. And it allows me to feel my feelings fully. And once again, it allows me to be vulnerable and it allows me to be weak and it allows me to sit with what does that feel like? And I realize that actually I can have those feelings. They do not overwhelm me. 
And um, it doesn't mean that I can never be happy again. And what it also does is it allows me to take joy where there is joy. So, you know, instead of, instead of um, just being depressed for the next three weeks, I can be sad about my dog that isn't here. But I can, if something happens that is amazing, I can still experience the joy of that amazing experience. And that's the, that to me is the value of really learning how to feel our feelings. Because we think if we distract ourselves and deny the negative ones, we can still fully appreciate the positive ones. But the truth is, you actually can't. If you numb in one area, you're going to numb in the other. And so by not feeling our our negative emotions, I can see I've gone off at a tangent now, but at not by not feeling our negative emotions, we deny ourselves the pleasure of our positive emotions also. We essentially deny ourselves the experience of fully engaging with life. Yes, I don't think it's a tangent. I think it's it's crucial to the concept, for instance, of grief and relief, because you know, you're not allowed to say anything bad about someone who's passed away. Absolutely. So mm-hmm. the moment you have that thought, then you distract yourself because you don't want to go there. And once again, you're not feeling that feeling. And the truth is that, you know, no human being is one-sided. Hmm. So, um, you know, I have a lot of amazing traits and I have a lot of less than amazing traits. <laughs> and so do you and so does everyone oh, else. Yes. And the, <laughs> the beauty of this is the more I can integrate all my traits, the more I can own my awesome and my awful, the more open I am to, to accepting the awesome and the awful in everyone else. It's easy to accept the awesome, okay, except that very often if the awesome is, if we think the awesome is too awesome, we put that person on a pedestal and we can't connect to them because now, you know, we, we turn them into something they're not. We try and make them one-sided human beings and we can't get connection that way. So the more I can integrate all the parts of myself, the more open I will be to all the parts of you. So, you know, when you have a trait that I think is annoying and I realize, oh, I've got that same trait, it's just in a different form, um, then suddenly I no longer think I'm superior to you. So, so now we can connect. And in fact, if I just go back to the me being strong, you know, being sick, I realize here I've been, I've been this, this holistic doctor and I consider myself to be quite an empathetic person. But quite frankly, I have unconsciously thought that other people um, have more right to weakness than me. In other words, I don't judge illness as a weakness in other people. I judge it as a weakness in myself. But the fact that I have this misperception between strong and weak regards to sickness has actually made me less able to connect to those people that I am most wanting to serve. And I suppose, actually, that's one of the biggest insights from this is that that in being able to own my um, arrogance of thinking I'm stronger than everyone else and actually having been humbled by that, what it's done I mean, nobody really likes to be humbled, but what it actually has done is it's allowed me to connect more deeply with a, with a deeper empathy for people who are unwell and who are not getting better and who are struggling and who are taking longer to recover. Or even if they're not physically ill, uh, coaching clients of mine who are stuck in a situation and I can see clearly how they can get out, but they can't. So it served me in a myriad of ways. And that's just one trait. So, you know, if we pay attention, it really makes a big difference. 
Yes, and, and to me connection is one of the most important things I think we're after. Absolutely. You know, we all want to be loved for who we are, really are. We all want to be seen for who we really are, and we all want to add value for who we really are without having to change. And we are social creatures. Humans, we're about connection. In fact, there's a statistic somewhere, and I can't remember the actual stat, but the biggest predictor of chronic disease in the developed world is loneliness and isolation. That reminds me of, of something that Sister Teresa said. I don't remember the words, but she, she was pointing to the loneliness that is so rife in, in the Western world. Especially. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, we, we, um, I would actually go as far as to say we are so disconnected from ourselves. We don't even know who we are. So how are we supposed to connect strongly to others? Um, so, I mean, I'm not saying we can't connect to others. Of course we can, you know. We can do the best we can with what we've got. But I think that we could connect on levels that are so much more profound if we were just able to connect more profoundly with ourselves. So, you know, back to the strong and weak thing. Me being infatuated with strong is me denying a part of myself. That's like saying I've got two children. One is called strong and one is called weak. Strong is the beautiful, clever one, and weak is the dumb, ugly one. So the dumb, ugly one, I'm just going to put in the cellar. Well, that's not okay. No one would do that, right? But we do that with ourselves all the time. So I truly believe that the disconnection starts with us, ourselves, because you are the most vulnerable person in your life. Everyone else who doesn't like you or me, they can get away from us. But, you know, I can't get away from me. Yeah, so to get back to the idea of no challenge without support, I think mm -hmm. it's just whether one sees it. You have provided wonderful examples of the support and I could almost say the ins yeah, and the insights you got from this horrific month that you experienced. Yeah, well, I'm sure that there are many more that I've probably missed, but um, I have tried my best. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that with us. You're very welcome. And then, Loretta, do you take clients through this type of process when you work with them? I absolutely do. I, I mean, I have some other tools and techniques that, um, that I add to this, but certainly this concept of, you know, you can't have one side without the other. There's no support without challenge is intrinsic to understanding that um, if you can learn how to see the other side, you don't have to be a victim of your history. And in actual fact, you can decrease your fear of the future. So uh, um, I, do, I do use that with my clients. Um, I use that in my group coaching programs and with my individual clients. And then obviously a whole host of other tools and techniques such as, you know, how to feel your feelings fully. How do you, can you do that in a safe way? One of the reasons why we don't want to feel our negative emotions is that we're scared we're never going to come out of them. But there are safe ways that we can do that in a sort of structured manner that allows us to strengthen that muscle that makes us more resilient when it comes to experiencing negative emotions. Where can listeners find more information about your work? So listeners can find me on social media. I am on Facebook. My personal profile is Loretta Ferrucci, easy enough. Um, I also have a group, a Facebook group, which is actually where I post most of my content. I go live every week on some other topic. This week happens to be relationships. We're in relationship week this week. Um, and that group is called Vitality Matters. 
So if you search on Facebook for Vitality Matters, it's usually the it's usually the first one that comes up actually. And you can join there. All the resources in there are free. And that's really where, as I say, I post most things on my personal profile, but all the all the, the real juice goes into the group. And you also have a website, don't you? Yes, I do. It's www.lorettaferrucci.co.za. I'll add the link to your website to this podcast. And I'll Thank also you. include information about Dr. Martini's work. And then I think I should provide links to the other two podcasts I've done with you, which is the one is about your ideal body and the other one is about nourishing, not punishing your body to create health. That would be great. Thank you. Now we've come to your three tips on creating what you'd love. think that the three things that you could do um, that would most serve you to get you closer to creating what you'd love is first of all get to know yourself fully because the better you know yourself and the more you accept yourself the more connected you are with you and the more you can connect with everyone else the second is to stop avoiding discomfort let's go into those negative emotions if we can if we don't know how then get someone to help you there are lots of good therapists and coaches out there that can help with that um, stop avoiding the discomfort also means stop avoiding situations that are difficult because you don't want to make yourself vulnerable. And the third thing is learn to access your intuition because your intuition and your imagination are the bridges to your soul. So if you want to access that higher self more consciously, exercising or learning how to use your intuition is essential. Thank you, Loretta. May I ask you a fun question? Of course you may. Now, I know you love nature, and when you see a mountain, you simply have to climb it, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> if you could live in a cave high up in the mountains for a while, which creature comforts would you like to take along? Hmm, how many can I have? As many as you like. Well, I, I would like something soft to, to sleep on. I'd like one of those lovely memory foam mattresses and a pillow and a warm sleeping bag. I think that would be an essential. Um, hmm. I would ordinarily, I'd probably say a Kindle, but I don't know if I'm going to get any uh, connectivity up there. So yeah. um, something, something to read would be good. And I don't really think I'd need much more than that, assuming that there was food and water. Mm. Yeah, because you will have the view and you'll have the Absolutely. time and so many other things. For sure. And sure, I'll have a lot of my own company. That's going to be, that might be a challenge, but I'm up for it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Loretta, for showing us, I think, a more balanced view of challenge and support and practical examples of how one can find the support in challenges. Mariette, can I just say one thing? Sorry, yes. can I just, one thing that I should have mentioned is that if you've never done this before, please don't start with like the biggest trauma you've ever had in your life. You know, start practicing it on the little things. 
Yeah. Like, you know, what is the what is the benefit of not getting this parking right now? Uh, you know, what is the benefit of, I don't know, not being able to have cake today? I don't know. You know, start with like little things because it's a muscle that you have to train. So, you know, if you if you suddenly start thinking, okay, well, support and challenge is equal. And then you go to an extremely huge life traumatic event that happened to you and you try and find the support in that in that challenge. It may be really hard. It's like trying to lift a hundred, you know, trying to bench press a hundred kilograms when you've never been to a gym before. So please start with the small things. Mm. Yeah, and as you say, develop that muscle and develop the ability to to have those insights. Absolutely. Thank you. And to our listeners, it was good of you to join us. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with someone you care about. I'd really appreciate it if you'd rate Calm, Clear and Helpful where you download your podcasts. If you'd like a more fulfilling relationship with your beloved, if you wish parenting could be easier, or if you're interested in improving your emotional well-being, you're welcome to visit my website, marietsneeman.co.za for free articles and podcast episodes. Calm, Clear and Helpful is compiled, hosted and edited by me and the music is by Mark-Marie Sneeman. Catch you next Tuesday at 9.00.